Today on the Heartland Community Church Podcast, Lead Pastor Eric Parks continues the Out of Style series with the message, Humility versus Celebrity. I'm so excited about this series that we're in, uh, Out of Style. And for those of you that are joining for the first time or maybe you, you, you haven't been watching online, I wanna encourage you, the last three weeks, you should go back and check it out because this is the basic concept, the premise of this series is how do we bring back in style ways of Jesus that for sure have gone out of style even in the church? We've been using this word called tov, which is the Hebrew for goodness. How do we bring goodness back in style? And so in week one, I kind of reminded you, look, God created you for goodness, but you gotta go do goodness, right? You can't think goodness, you gotta go do good stuff. And then we talked about empathy, that that's one of those traits that we've lost that we have to bring back in style. And then last week, um, how many of you got your Pez dispenser? How many got Pez dispensers? Was that not sweet? Give it up for Steve for being creative. I don't have Pez dispensers this week. Um, but he talked about being dispensers of grace. And, and this is what I want us to be reminded of from, the, from just a few weeks ago. Look, here's what we're trying to do, Heartland. We're not looking to the left to tell us what we're supposed to be. We're not looking to the right to tell us what we're supposed to be. We're not swiping down on the internet to tell us what we're supposed to be. We're trying to align ourselves underneath this. Remember when Steve told us that? We're trying to take God's word, the example of Jesus, and put those things into action into our life. Bring things that are out of style back. And so that's what we're gonna do today. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open them up. Um, if you use your phones, that's totally cool too. We're gonna be looking at Luke chapter 15. And I'm going to dive into what's called a parable. Now a parable is just a story that Jesus would tell. It was a teaching tool. So we're gonna look at one of his teaching tools as we look at another concept that we have to bring back in style. So here's how it reads. Now, we're just gonna have a real talk. You're like, because some of you are gonna ask me, now why is it that you bring your Bible up there and you don't read from it, Eric? because I'm blind. So if I open this up and try to read from it, it's just gonna be a hot mess. So I have, like, anybody else text the size of, like, way too big, super embarrassing. I used to make fun of my parents, and now I'm one of them. Um, so Luke chapter 15, verse 11. Jesus told them this story. A man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of the estate now before you die. So his father agreed, he divided up his wealth between his two sons. Let's pause for a second. I wanna give some context. In Jewish society, it was really clear. If you're following Jesus and you were listening to his teaching, you know how this would work. This is sort of like common law. What would happen is, is a man's estate would get divided several ways. It was always the case that the firstborn got two-thirds of the estate. Now, this estate was divided up at the passing of the father. It's similar to us, right? Like, you, you, if you have an inheritance to pass it on, you, you typically give it once you've passed. The other portion, the other third, in this case, would go to the younger son. Everybody would know this is how it would work. They'd also know, as I said, that this would happen upon the father's death. So in this story, it's really key. It would have been caused like a gasp. The younger son, who would get a third upon his father's death, is basically saying to his dad, I can't wait for you to die. I want your stuff now, right? This is what happens. 
and the father in the story, even though that would be insanely heartbreaking to have one of your kids look at you and say, I don't want to wait for your death to get what's mine. I want my stuff now. Give it to me. That's going to break your heart, right? Jesus says that the father does it. He gives it to his son because he loves his kids so much. He loves this kid so much. It says in Luke chapter 15, verse 13, a few days later, this younger son then packed up all his belongings and he moved to a distant land. So let me pause there. Jesus is trying to hammer home a concept here. He wants you to feel something. Jesus is telling you these things. He wants you to feel something. He wants you to feel the pain of the father. See, not only was this young kid saying, I can't wait for you to die. He's not just privately breaking his heart. By moving out of the Holy Land, he would be telling the whole community, my dad, I hate this guy. It would be like a public display of retribution and hostility. Everybody in the community would know. And if you were following Jesus in those days when he taught that, your heart would hurt so bad thinking of your kid hating you so much that he would take a third of everything and then move far away. So he spits in his face privately and he spits in his face publicly. And he leaves. And the Bible tells us in the story that eventually he does what kids do. He squanders the money, right? This is what kids do. Ask me. When I got my first credit card, I maxed it out in three days. This is what kids do daily. Who's my daughter? And one of the smartest kids I know. She saved. She literally saved for an entire year for college when she went off to college for her spending money. That was sort of the deal. I got a call about two months into her being off at college. This is the smartest, salutatorian, brilliant kid. She's like, Dad, I got a problem. We have a problem. I said, we have a problem. She goes, yes, Dad, we have a problem. I've spent all my money. I'm like, wait, when did you start speaking French? She's like, what? I'm like, we, we, we have a problem. Because we, we, we don't. You do. You spent all the money. What did you spend it on? She goes, I spent it on ministry, Dad. I go, no, 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 no. No, no. Taking your friends out to ice cream isn't ministry. You're trying to make me feel bad. See, Kids do this stuff. That's what this kid does. He takes his dad's stuff, Jesus says, and he spends it all, and then he comes to his senses, and he, he's embarrassed by everything that he's done. He, he realizes what he's done to his dad, and he realizes that, gosh, I'm sitting eating pig's food. Like, he's so desperate. Now he's just eating garbage, right? He's eat, literally eating garbage. The Bible tells us that in verse 17, when he finally came to his senses... He said to himself, even at home, even the hired servants have good enough, food good enough to spare. And here, I'm dying of hunger. I'll go home to my father. So he returned home to his father, and while he was a long way off, his father saw him coming, and filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, and he embraced him, and he kissed him. The son knew that he had messed this up, and so he comes home, and, and you can see, like, 
you can imagine this young kid, he, he knows like how much he's hurt his father. He, he probably doesn't know the full extent, right? Because as kids so often, we really don't know what it feels like to be a parent until we're a parent and then you wish you could be a kid again. But he knows he's gonna have to give a speech and convince his dad that he gets it and that he understands and that he's repenting and that he's sorry. And so I imagine he's worked up that speech forever. And the Bible tells us in verse 21, his son said to him, Father, here's his speech, right? He's worked on this. I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I'm not worthy even to be called your son, right? He's saying, I get it. I totally damaged the relationship. I embarrassed you in the community. I don't deserve to be your son, but listen, Listen what the father does in verse 22. But the father said to the servants, that's key. The father doesn't say anything to the son. He doesn't come back and say, I know you did. I know you messed it up. You really screwed it up. He didn't give him a speech. He doesn't look at him. He looks to the servant. He says, hey, my son's home. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to go get a ring for his finger. I want you to get sandals for his feet. I want you to kill that calf that we've been fattening up. We must celebrate with the feast for this son of mine was dead and now he's returned to life. He was lost and now he's found. And so the party began. You know, there's so much to be learned in this parable from Jesus. But when I read it fresh, and I thought about this series out of style, I think the thing that this father spoke to me, that I know we have to learn in this culture, relearn it, reteach it, relearn it, reteach it, is this idea of humility. Right? This isn't what our culture longs to hear for. In fact, some of you might be crazy disappointed. But I have to tell you, if we're going to be a Tove church, a goodness place, we have to relearn the concept of humility. It's on display in the Father, and I'm convinced that it might be one of the more challenging values for us to learn. And here's why. You see, we live in a culture that praises narcissism, encourages it, it teaches it. I mean, think about it. I do it, you do it. We've all become stars of our own movie that plays out on social media, right? We document all the things we do. Chrissy and I, we had gone out um, for a meal, and this just, again, this proves that I'm getting older, maybe getting old. Older is what old people say about themselves, right? Um, maybe I'm getting old, but we were, we were at a restaurant and we saw a bunch of young kids. There was like 15, and I'm not throwing shade on, on y'all millennials. It's all good. I'm not trying to throw shade because we do all the, we do narcissistic stuff too, but I saw, we saw a group of like 12 people in their 20s, and I'm not kidding, throughout the entire dinner for like 35 minutes, they were taking pictures of the experience that they weren't having. You know what I'm saying? Like every pose, the thing, and the right shot, and the right light, and it was all so they could get it just right to tell a story on Instagram that actually didn't happen, but so that other people would see it and go, wow, look at them, and look at how great they look, and look at how much fun they're having. This is what we teach, and our children are being trained that narcissism is right, that is good, 
right? The narcissism, being life-centered around you as the central key figure that, that, that it's normal. And this is why I think humility has to be brought in style. Now, let me say something about humility. Because the minute I say it, I think sometimes we have a misunderstanding of what humility is and what it isn't. And let me be really clear. Let me tell you what humility is not. Humility is not about convincing yourself or others that you're not attractive or you're not competent or you're, you're not smart or strong. It's not about beating yourself up or, or, or trying to appear to the world that you're sort of like an Igor. That, that's not humility. This is what C.S. Lewis says about a truly humble person. He says, if you were to meet a truly humble person, you'd never come away from the meeting thinking they were humble, actually. He goes on to say, they would not be always telling us that they were a nobody, right, putting themselves down, because that actually, that person who keeps saying they're a nobody is actually a self-obsessed person. The thing we would remember from meeting a truly gospel, humble person is how much they seem totally interested in us. And here's the key. Listen to what he says. True humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. It's the antidote to narcissism. It's thinking of ourselves less. Tim Keller puts it this way. He's an author and a pastor. He says, humility is the art of self-forgetfulness. And this is what we see in the Father. The art of self-forgetfulness. Now think about it. Think about this dad for a second. Think about this story. Here's a, here's a dad who's been so hurt by his son. So hurt. He's privately been humiliated. He's had a third of his wealth that's been now just wasted his community, for however long this son's been gone, has been murmuring behind his back, right? Because that's what you do. You go, oh, look. Reason why that kid was no good is gotta be parents. Parents don't know how to raise him. He's no good too. See, so when this kid comes home, if this father is truly about him and his story, you know what he does, right? As soon as the son starts to give the speech, he goes, oh, hold that. Let's go to the town square. I want to make sure everybody hears this. Let's make sure we get this straight. That you know what you did was wrong. That I'm not an awful father. That I didn't parent you wrong. Let's go, let's go, let's go put this on display. And you know what? The kid probably would have gone. He was broken, busted, down to his last. If he would have marched him up to the center of the town square and put him on display for the whole world to hear, the kid would have gone. He didn't have anything. If it would have been about the dad, he would have talked about a repayment plan for the third that he needs to get back. He would have made sure that this son said all the right things and gave the right speech, wrote it down in a contract. But see, humility is the art of self-forgetfulness, even when there's something to it. Father displays for us that it wasn't about him. You see, the father could have said, 
could have led everything with I. We do this a bunch. We're I-centric, right? We, we, we say these things. I'm hurt. I lost everything. I can't believe it. And here's the truth. This is why, why we have to talk about Tov, not just as it relates to you as individuals, but to us as a church. See, for us to be a place of humility means that we have to move past like eye-centric thinking when it comes to church. We do it too often. And it sort of plays out this way. Some of the, some of the time, eye-centric, eye-centric language is around good stuff. You're like, oh, I like the music. I like that Carrington. I like the way Steve teaches. Or, I don't really like Eric. I don't like his jeans. I don't like his hat. I hate his sneakers, right? This is eye-centric language. And then we start saying things. I'm not being fed. I want you to do this ministry, Eric. This is what eye-centric places do. And what we have to be is a place that begins to understand that we, me too, I'm not the center of this story. I'm just not. How do we build a church? It looks like that. Now, don't get me wrong. I get it. So many of us, man, we've walked into church and, and we've said I stuff, like I need God to speak to me. And I know that in some of the darkest times in my life, I needed the church desperately, right? I needed to walk in a door and feel safe. And, and it's why I'm a follower of Jesus and now I'm a pastor. I get that. But, but here's what I've also learned over 20 years, 20 plus years of doing this, that in the darkest moments of my life, what has got me through is certainly Jesus. But do you know that it's always seemed to be connected to some other person? Now you say, what do you mean? Proverbs says it this way. Proverbs 11.25 says, those who refresh others will themselves be refreshed. You know, I've learned that when I center my life around other people, when I'm thinking about other people, when I'm inviting other people in, when I'm watching God do stuff in the lives of other people, something happens in me. It's this crazy inverse thing. When I don't make it about me, even though I could, somehow God does something in me. It's like this lesson that I never learn, right? But it is at the center of what we learn from the Father. It is humility to make Things about other people, even when we could make it about ourselves. You know, the dad in that story could have made it about him. He could have. He deserved it. But then I got to thinking, if he does do this, what does he miss out on? Right? What does he miss out on? And I was thinking about those boys because I have two boys. And those two boys crack me up so sometimes so much. I love to listen to them talk, like when they don't know I'm listening to them, because now my boys are old enough to sort of like, 
I don't know, have halfway intelligible conversations. One's 18, one's 13. And some of the random things that happen when I'm not in the room is so hilarious. The other night, this literally happened. These two boys had a 30-minute conversation. So I'm like, you guys, you got, Christina, you got to clean up the dishes. So we go upstairs, and I hear them into the strongest, hardest debate, an argument debate on who would win a fight between the two of them when they were both in fifth grade, which isn't possible to know. But Harry's like, well, I'll tell you what, two years ago when I was in fifth grade, this is what I would have done. And Graham's like, well, when I was in fifth grade, this is how much I weighed, and this is what I look like, and this is what I did in fifth grade. Fifth grade, they're talking about fifth grade, and they're like, dad, 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 who would win a fight between the two of us when we're in fifth grade? I'm like, neither one of you daily would have kicked both your butts, right? Those boys, though, I also have moments where I hear them laugh together, where I watch them play games together, where I watch Harry walk up and ask his big brother about a math problem or a thing on Fortnite or whatever it is. And there's such a joy in me when I hear my kids laugh together. And I think about the father and I think, what would he have missed if he would have made it, if he would have marched that boy out there, if it would have all been about him recovering his and what he lost? You know what he would have missed? He would have missed the party that happened, the slash that happened. He would have missed his two boys reconnect again and watch that young kid that had been gone for years actually something alive come in him. He would have missed it all. This is the art of self-forgetfulness. And this is why you hear me say, we have to build a place for anyone and everyone. We have to build a place where we humbly put aside ourselves and we just say, hey, 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 if you're a prodigal, if you're lost, if you're broken, if you don't look like us, if you don't act like us, it's all good. Come on in. Come on in. That's why you'll hear me say often, if you're looking for me to be perfect, you got the wrong guy. I'm just like you. I love Jesus. I want to get it right. I screwed up a bunch. I have to ask for forgiveness, and I have a pretty vicious cycle that just works that way. That's me, just like you. But we have to be a place it isn't about us. We're like a picture of the Father. Come on in. Come on in. Self-forgetfulness. Practice it. See what happens. The Apostle Paul puts it this way. In Philippians 2, 3, he says, put yourself aside. Put yourself aside. Help others get ahead. Don't be obsessed with getting your own advantage. Forget yourself long enough to lend a helping hand. Now, the Apostle Paul seems to get how we work, right? He doesn't say you're always going to get it straight. In fact, he's saying, look, you're probably going to mess it up. What do you have to do? Just forget yourself long enough to lend a helping hand just for a season. Why? Because we're broken and we're flawed. And oftentimes I get back into the cycle of this repetitive cycle of narcissism that's just about me and my world and my stuff. And he says, look, if you can just forget yourself long enough to lend a helping hand, here's what's going to happen. Life in you. And if we become a church 
that does this. You know what we become? We become a church like the Father who, through parties, instead of throwing stones, right? Like throw parties instead of throwing stones. Doesn't that sound like fun? Don't we want to be a place that throws parties instead of throws stones? This is our model. The dad could have, he could have thrown all kinds of stones. He himself could have been stoned for what he did. Now stop for a second. And if we get honest, the truth is, every single one of us, at some point in our life, needed a place that was safe. We didn't know Jesus. We didn't know how to act. We didn't know what this was supposed to be about. We just, someone extended an invitation. They were humble enough to say, not about me, about you. Why don't you come with me? Why don't you come sit next to me? This is the father. You know, I read this story and I got all choked up. I got to thinking about this is a picture we should emulate, but there is no doubt this is a picture of God towards us. Right? The Bible tells us that while that kid was a long way off, the father ran to him. Now, I got to thinking about that, right? I got to think about this. I'm like, so hold on, hold on, hold on. While he was a long way off. Now, how would he know he was a long way off? Because they didn't have cell phones. It wasn't like the kid could call and say, Dad, I'm uh, about two miles away. Couldn't call him. There was no Nest doorbells, so he didn't know. So then I'm like, how does a father, like, how does he know he's a long way off? Oh, he, he had to get somewhere where he could see a long way off. I mean, maybe on his roof or in some really high spot that he didn't visit very often. Then I got to thinking, well, how would he know that day that he was a long way off? And then I got to thinking, oh, wait a minute. He was looking. He was looking. And then I got to thinking, for how long? How many days did that poor dad drag himself up some stairs and look off in the distance, hoping and praying that this kid would come home. How many days? And did it turn to weeks? And did it turn to months and then to years? And he was just hoping. He was like, he's going to come. One day he's going to come. One day he's going to come home. And when he does, I'll be ready. That is our God. He saw you once, me, January 1st, 1995, and he's like, Eric, I know, I know, no, come on, come on home, it's good. And if that is God's disposition towards us, Heartland, how can our disposition be any different? How can we not invite the wayward in? How can we not throw parties instead of stones? And do you know how fun it is to throw parties? I throw awesome parties. I'm just kind of, I'm a seven on the Enneagram, so I'm just good at it. Like, that's what I love to do. I don't want to throw stones. All right, you want to come in this house? You want to come here? Great. I don't care. You can be a Bears fan. You can be a Packers fan. You can be a Bills fan. (laughs) 
We want to throw parties for people, not stones. Why? Because this is Tov. This is God. This is our story. And you may have forgotten it, but let me remind you, you were lost. You were the sheep that Jesus went out and got, and he brought you here. How many more in your world need to know? And is that on you? Oh, yeah. It's on all of us. We have to be this. This is what humility does. It changes us from being, well, I'm going to go to church and watch, to I'm going to go to church and bring people with me. I'm going to come to church, and we're going to start rescuing people. We're going to bring them in. We're going to throw lifelines. We're going to see people come to Jesus. This is what we're going to do. It's why every week we say we're going to be a church for anyone and everyone. I don't care where you come from. I don't care what you look like. I don't care what your background is. I don't care if you believe in Jesus or not. Come on in. It's what Jesus did. Jesus was like, yeah, I know. Come on. Set the woman in the world. Come on. Yeah, let's talk. Come on. This is what we're going to be. Period. Period. That's what we have to be. We have to bring humility back in style, in tangible ways. Heartland, will you help me? Yeah? Let's stand. There's a community that needs to know Jesus. There's a community that needs to be invited in. There's a community that when they decide to step in those doors, we throw parties. Don't worry about stones. It's good. You're all good. You didn't get hit with a stone. Don't throw one. We're good. He's got it. He's God. He's big. We'll leave it to him. We're just going to throw parties for lost people. Come on in. Come on in. God, I pray that you will remind us that each one of us needed a space to walk into that would throw a party for us. And if we didn't get it, then let us be a part of the solution by throwing them. Let's throw crazy parties for lost people. God, help us find the humility of the Father in our everyday lives. Help us extend that grace into people's lives. Help help us share an empathy. God, help us bring back into style your way in this place. And everybody said, amen. You've been listening to lead pastor Eric Parks with part four of the series Out of Style with a message humility versus celebrity. You can experience the service this message came from by going to heartland.cc and clicking on the watch page or go to our YouTube channel at Heartland CC Rockford and you can also watch it on the Heartland CC app. Thanks for listening.